So <clears throat> we're doing Basilegati Tafshin Mem Dalid, and uh, this is our third week. The first week we did chapters one and two. Second week we did chapters three and four. Today I would like to try to do chapters five and six. There are eight chapters total in the Mimer. And we have a couple of weeks until Yud Shvat. We're trying to finish this before Yud Shvat as a preparation for that day. Um, let's just quickly review where we've been and then try to continue on with chapters 5 and 6. So last week was, was a tough week, I think. There were a lot of concepts, a lot of very abstract concept, uh, concepts and nuanced concepts, meaning <clears throat> a lot of stuff that's similar and the difference between them is sort of, um, you have to understand abstract concepts in their fine detail in order to distinguish between these different ideas. But we learned about Or, Chayas, and Koyach. Remember those words? And I could translate them, you know, light and life force and power or potential or whatever. But I don't think that's that helpful to translate. That's akin to calling tefillin phylacteries or calling a mishkan a tabernacle. So it, we're just going to call it Or, Chayas, and Koyach. <coughs> And we spoke about how the koyach is nivdol mim koyroi, meaning it gets detached from its source. So like a person has the power to throw the stone, and then he transfers that power to the stone, and now the stone is flying. You don't see the person anymore. The person can walk off, and you wouldn't even see the person. You just see a flying stone. You don't know if a person threw it or if, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a meteorite, right? So that's koyach. Then we said, like with Ayr and Chayas, it's, it's Dovik Bim There's always an attachment to the source. In other words, if you see a ray of sunlight, you can trace it unobstructed to the sun. Like, if you can't trace it to the sun, then you're not seeing the sunlight. You get what I'm saying? Um, but then between Ayr and Chayas, we said there's a difference. That Ayr is not Bislapshus, Chayas is Bislapshus. Bislapshus means that it's invested in the thing. So, like, Ayr, light, you can shine a light into a room, the light's just doing its own thing. The light doesn't care what it's shining on. And it doesn't work any differently based on what it's shining on. Like, whatever's in the room is in the room, and that's what the light is going to light up. And it's not, having, it's not having a relationship with the stuff that's lighting up. Chayas, life force, is bislapshus. It invests itself into that which it is enlivening, and therefore it takes on the form of that which it enlivens and it gives it the proper voltage so it doesn't blow the circuits and all that stuff. And the paradox, the surprise that we learned last week is that even though Hashem enlivens the world in a manner of chayus, I mean, he does all these things, or chayus and kayach, they're all true. But this chayus, this divine life force, although you would think it itself is affected, through its relationship with that which it enlivens, it is somehow transcendent and it's unaffected. So it affects without being affected. That's what we said. Okay, I know that's like very lofty stuff, but that's what we spoke about last week. Uh, I mean, you're okay with that, more or less? And, and if we want to really simplify it to make it really, 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 really simple, what are we talking about? We're just talking about the fact that creation as we know it, the world as we know it, uh, is, a, uh, is a product of divine energy. And we're just talking about different 
ways of describing that divine energy and the way that it acts upon the creation and brings about creation. These are just different perspectives for looking at, or different models perhaps, of looking at the way that Hashem makes the world. Okay? Chapter 5. Okay. But we need to understand. Can't leave well enough alone. We need to understand something better. When we're speaking about the energy, the godly energy that enlivens the world, and as we mentioned before, it doesn't just enliven it, it causes it to exist. Those are two different things. This divine energy which creates and sustains the world, there's a fourth level. You are overwhelmed with the three levels. Why am I projecting? I was overwhelmed with the three, <laughs> with the three levels. But it wasn't enough three levels. There's a fourth level. Yesh Dagaravias, there's a fourth level. Bechinus Shem. And we call it Shem, which means name. Name. So now we have Oyer, Chayus, Koyach, and Shem. Light, life force, power, and name. What do we mean that there's a way that Hashem enlivens the world that we refer to as name? Well, without even reading the next line, you, many of you may be familiar with the concept of divine speech that Hashem speaks the world into being. And if you ever learned the second volume of Tanya, we just finished the first volume of Tanya in our Monday Tanya class, but in the second volume of Tanya, Shari Yuchud Ve'amunah, it speaks all about this concept of how Hashem speaks the world into being. He takes the 22 letters of the Holy Hebrew Alphabet, and those are the building blocks of creation, and he sort of plays Scrabble with the Scrabble tiles and creates the formulae for different created beings through arranging different combinations of the 22 letters. And that creates the pathway for the life force for distinct created beings. Okay, let's, let's read the actual moment. All right. And as it is known, the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, that is brought in like I just said, is the second volume of Tanya. It deals with cosmology, with the nature of the origin of creation. So there's a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov that is brought in that the names shall call of all the created beings in the world. Hein hein isis hadibur are letters of divine speech, which devolve forth from the ten utterances, right? God said, let there be this, let there be that. Ten utterances, pronouncements of creation in Genesis. Shabbat Torah that are recorded in the Torah. Ayyadeh, and how does, how does uh, all these let there be's turn into all the names of every individual created being? Ayyadeh, through chilofim v'tumuris chulu, through changing around the letters, like I called it before, the Scrabble tiles, or the anagrams, okay? So it's like, I'll give you a crude analogy. You know, on the periodic, periodic chart of elements, you only have so many, I don't remember how many there are. Any, any nerds here? 
No? <laughs> At least not the right kind of nerd. Right, somebody could Google it, too. I don't know how many elements are on the periodic chart of elements, but you want to know something? It's not that many, but from those, you can go combine them into all the different molecules that we have, and that accounts for basically every material under the sun, right? So you have a certain amount of building blocks, but you change those building blocks around, you can get limitless results. Okay, so, so a similar concept. There are 22 energies, each of the 22 letters of Lashon HaKadosh for the Holy Tongue are, are distinct energies, and that uh, Hashem just combines those letters <clears throat> to create different things. All right. So this is the concept that Hashem creates through speech, and not just speech, but specifically by saying the names of the things and then they exist. Like, and Hashem said, let there be light and there was light. Okay, so that's recorded in the ten utterances. That's one of the ten utterances. Let there be light is one of the ten utterances. But you know what? Through using the building blocks that are in the ten utterances, meaning the 22 letters, we get all the different things that are not mentioned explicitly in the Torah. Okay. Notice a trend? Any people good at pattern recognition? And it is known, the teaching of the Magid, meaning the Mesut Magid, the Talmud, and the successor of the Baal Shem Tov. You notice this? He just mentioned the Baal Shem Tov. Now he's mentioning the Magid. He's going through. Remember, this isn't, an, this isn't the inaugural address, but it's the anniversary of the inaugural address. And this is the Rebbe sort of renewing his commitment as the leader. So in that address is always the mention of the, the whole chain of leadership. Okay. So the Magid said, Allah Posik, There's a verse that everything that the person called every living thing, that's its name. So Adamarishan, the first man, identified and I'm going to use the word identify, even though that's a spoiler, the names of every living thing. In other words, every language has a name for, let's say, water. Sure. In English, water is water. You guys are so smart because that could have <laughs> tricked you. But you know what? Um, it's just convention. It's just an agreement that we call it water. And another group of people call it agua. And some people call it o. And some people call it vaser. And those are just agreements. It's just social convention. But the fact that it's called mayim, that's its actual name. So when we say, it says in Torah that Adam named the animals, it doesn't mean he came up with names for them, because he's not the only one who did that. Everyone in every language came up with names for everything. It means he identified the combination of letters that were yielding this particular created being and correctly called out the name. So the Maggot says on the verse that Adam named all the animals, that the names that Adam called all of the animals like it says, this is the wording of the Medish Tanhuma. Adam said, This, it is good to call it a shor, which was a good thing. You know why? 
You know why it was a good thing that Adam said, this thing is good to call a shar? Because that's what it was. Very good. It was a shar. Very good. Shar is an ox. Heim ha This is their life force. So he was actually accurately identifying the combination of energetic building blocks that was creating these distinct created beings. And according to this, he explains the saying of our sages, also from the Medrash Tanchuma. That Adamarishan's naming the animals was an indication of his great chachma, of his great wisdom. There's a story. The angels actually challenged God and said, what's the point of this Adam, of this man? And God said, what's the point of him? He's wiser than you. He's got greater chachma than you. You want proof? Go look. He's naming the animals right now. Well, what does it take such great chachma? It takes unique chachma to name the animals. Just make up a sound and remember it. Just stick with it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, that blah, blah, blah. Just remember that. That, that thing's called blah, 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 blah. It doesn't take chachma. But once you understand, no, no, no. He wasn't just making up a sound and saying, let's just stick with that. He was looking at the ox as it exists down here on the physical plane and seeing within it its identity, its spiritual identity, and then correctly labeling that. So you can ask, is that the same energy that parents receive when they name their children with Ruach HaKadosh? So there's a concept of, of a Shem Klali and a Shem Prati. There's a name of a, what we call Min and a name of an Ish. Ish means a person, but it doesn't mean a person so much as it means an individual. A Min uh, means the species. So Shor is not the name of a particular Shor. It's a name of all oxen. Elsie is a particular cow. <laughs> Elsie the cow. Okay. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Great question. Va'ad shechach And Hashem told the angels... His chachma, Adam's chachma, is greater than your chachma. And what's the proof? Or let me finish the sentence. Shel malachi ashadis of the ministering angels. Hashem told the ministering angels, he's got greater chachma than you. What's the proof? He's capable of naming these animals correctly. The fact that he was able to accurately name the animals was because he was able to perceive their source. Mavor Shami explains over there. Shal derech adam. In a similar way, the names of people. Is that what you were asking? Not just the name of the species. Adam, which in the case of human beings would be adam. Allah, but rather gam also. Hashem is haprotiim. The individual names. What does he say? What does the Maggid tell us about people's individual names? That the individual name of each person is their chayus. That is the channel 
for the life force that enlivens them. And so you ask about parents naming their children. Yeah, what's real Chakedish about it is not that they make up a name for their child, but they identify the name that this child already has. There's a channel of divine energy that takes this particular pathway of this formula, of this combination of names. By the way, it also says, I think in chapter 11, or maybe it's in chapter 12, 11 or 12, that the, the way the letters are written, meaning the shapes of the letters, is a visual representation of the energy flow. Meaning each of these building blocks is a different pathway. It's a different way for the creative energy to enter the world. Um, and that's why they're written differently. They have different, a different appearance. They're almost like ideograms in a way. Okay, so all of them named the animals. We named them species. He correctly identified the names. The Magid says that this was him seeing their source, and in fact, people's individual names is the same thing. It's identifying the source, yeah. Did he create what? Did he create Who created this language? Lashon HaKodesh? So Hashem spoke the world into being with Lashon HaKodesh. In other words, Languages, like we say, the Shivim Loshim, the 70 languages, like when Yosef met Parai, and Parai had 70 steps up to his throne, and every language you knew, you could go a step higher. So those are the 70 proto-nations of the ancient world. Each one has its own language. So someone made up those languages after the Tower of Babel. Lashon HaKodesh is not a made-up language. It is the fabric of reality. If you call it an axe, that's made up. If you call it a toro, that's made up. If you call it a shor, that's what it really is. And it's kind of a... No, Adam didn't make it up. He identified it. That's what I'm saying. Benjamin Franklin didn't invent electricity either. Right? Even though that's what everyone said. You know Benjamin Franklin invented electricity? Really? He invented it? Didn't exist before him? You know that Isaac Newton invented gravity? Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity. He identified gravity. Discovered. discovered it. It was always there. It was always there. What do you mean it was concealed? There was always lightning popping off since people existed. It wasn't concealed. People just didn't have a name. Or actually they did have a name, but they didn't have practical ways of applying it or channeling it. The point is that when Adam named the animals, he wasn't innovating anything. He was identifying something that was already present in reality. The, the, the difference between an invention and a discovery. That's my point. But how did he know? How did he know? Well, that's that's the cool thing. That's what the Medrash Tanchuma says, that Hashem is telling the ministering angels, look at Adam's Chachma. 
Look how much Chochmah he has. And apparently, what does Chochmah mean in this case? Chochmah means the ability to look at a physical being as it exists down here and see its spiritual source. He was able to look through the superficial layers and identify the unique godly energy that was in that thing. Yeah? What? There's no such thing as an invention? Yeah, there's such things as an invention. Yeah, like the Floby. The what? That vacuum that you put on your clippers and it sucks up the hair while you get your hair cut, the round popeel thing. That's an invention. Abraham Lincoln didn't have a Floby. If Abraham Lincoln had a Floby, he would have had a better haircut. Of course there are inventions. People invent stuff all the time. iPhones didn't exist. When I was a kid, you know, if you got lost, you had to go borrow a quarter or you had to do the collect call. You know the collect call thing that we used to do? Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course there are our inventions. And in fact, you want a great example of inventions? Every language in the world, except for Lashon HaKadosh, is an invention. Because people came up with it. They came up with it. All right. Now, we've been discussing different ways of describing Hashem's creative energy. We had three terms, Or, Chayas, and Kayach. Now we introduced a fourth term called Shem, which means the name. And that means that Hashem speaks the world into being, and He speaks individual beings into being, and that's why each individual being has a special, unique name in Lashon HaKadosh. So far, so good? It seems like from our... Yeah. Yeah. Manifestation, yeah. That is connected to fame. Where we can't really tap into the life force, other creative. You're saying for you subjectively, it's easier to relate to the concept of name than to the other ones. I'm, I'm wondering. Okay. If, is that a level we are meant to connect to language and? Um, I don't know. If you're telling me that's your experience, I won't. I cannot agree or disagree because you're reporting your personal experience. Well, if you're asking, is there something about it that lends itself to being more relatable? Yeah. I have to think about that. And are we, are we meant to... But I'm not going to think about it right now. Okay, okay and... Are we meant to tap into these creative energies? Right now, I just want you to know about them. Okay. I'm not telling you what to do about them. I just want you to know about them. Okay. Yeah, I know. That also, I noticed that, that he used the word chayusai, and I thought, well, I thought chayus was a distinct level. I thought chayus was one of the other three levels. A lot of these terms are being used sort of interchangeably. That's why I say this is very nuanced. It's not like they're totally distinct from each other. They're all very related terms. Bottom line, they're all ways of describing the way in which Hashem creates the world. You always ask this. So one answer I could give you is, just learn it. Don't worry about it. It's refining you and making you more sensitive. Just be, yeah. Is it? How is it refining Because you're learning about things that are spiritual instead of studying things that are physical, and just that has a refining effect on you. That's my first answer. It helps you also cultivate your awe. And it'll help you cultivate your awe, yeah. Okay, but secondly, 
So you remember the point of Basilagani. Every Mimer Basilagani is basically about bringing Hashem back to this world. Mashiach, right? Well, we want to bring Hashem back here. All right. So basically what we're trying to understand the context of this Mimer Basilagani, Tavshim Dalid, is what are we working with? This world, is it a place where God is really, really concealed? Or is it a place where God is ubiquitously present and it's almost like really on the cusp of being revealed? Which one is it? Because we want to bring God's presence back to this world. Like, how big of a leap is that? And, and ultimately, like, what, what, I know what it takes because he said in the beginning of this mimer, in the beginning of every Basilagani mimer, because it says it in the previous Rebbe's Basilagani, that the way we do it is through Iskafia and Isapcha. We spoke about it. Iskafia is by suppressing the negativity within us. Nesabcha is by rechanneling and repurposing the negativity within us. And we spoke about Shtustik Dusha, about going out of our comfort zone and serving Hashem in a way of, of irrational devotion. And we spoke about, in this Mimer, about the idea of Tzivas Hashem, about the discipline of being a soldier, and that when you have that, that, that devotion to Hashem that's above rationality, then you're able to refine all the sparks. Remember the Jews went out of Egypt and they refined all the sparks, or 202 of the, of the 288 sparks. So I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know the job, roughly, the job description. What I'm trying to understand basically is, like, what am I working with? We're trying to transform the world. So let me understand the conditions that the world is in. Like, what, what, what's going to happen and how is it going to happen? if we reveal Hashem in this world. So we're understanding basically in what way Hashem is already interacting with the world. And we're breaking it down into different levels. We said Or, Chayas, and Kayach. Now we introduced the category of Shem. These are all just ways for understanding how Hashem is already engaged with the world. Okay? Fine. But let's, let's keep going because we could get into interesting conversations all day long. Oh my goodness, could we? All right, let's continue. Um, brackets. Ulahoyer shekeshem shadvarim amurim benegel l'shmei shel kol davar shem amin v'gam shem oish. Just like what we're saying about the name of everything, both the names of species as well as the names of individual beings. Which they are referred to in the holy tongue. Similar, not exactly the same thing, but similar, who the foreign language names. That's a chiddush. That's a novel radical point here. Share. How can we say that? We just said there's something unique about Lashana Kodesh, that it's the name, that it's the language of creation. What Lashana Kodesh wasn't created, it, it's, it's not a creation, it's the creator, or it's the tool of the creator. So there we understand why the Lashana Kodesh names are connected to the actual life force of every being. But the non-Lashon HaKadosh names, the foreign names, how are we saying that has some deep connection? 
Because everything is hashgacha pratis, everything is divinely orchestrated. Like it's like we find in the in the words or the books of Avi Adaini Mighty Rabbi, my father. You know who that is the, the Rebbe's father, Rav Levi Yitzchok. The Rebbe's father. The Rebbe's father was not a Rebbe. The Rebbe's father-in-law was the Rebbe. But the Rebbe's father was a great Makubal, a great Kabbalist. And he writes here, Bekama Bekama Mekomes, in many, many places we find this. And there's a footnote 52 that tells us where to look in Lakute Levi Yitzchak. Those are collected writings of the Rebbe's father, which, by the way, were smuggled out of Soviet Russia because the Rebbe's father was sent into exile. And it was only with great sacrifice that the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Tzinchana, smuggled out those writings. Shemedayik, that he is precise, Gam B'Shemis Shabalaz, regarding foreign names, made Mayhem in Yonim Chadoshim, and he learns new insights from these names, V'hoiroiz B'Avedaz Hashem, as well as direction in how to serve Hashem. The Rebbe's father, like I said, was a Kabbalist, and his style of teachings, it's very difficult to study. It's a very unique style. But basically, he'll take, you'll see some of the letters, for instance, that the Rebbe's father would write to the Rebbe. He'll write to the Rebbe, and he'll take details of whatever the situation is and break it down, um, like the date, the day of the week, or I'll write to the Rebbe a birthday letter, oh, and you're turning 36, and this is the significance of the number 36. Every single detail, and this is the name of the Parsha this week, and this is the name of the month this month. The Rebbe's father's style is to take every detail and to unpack Kabbalistic significance from it. And you see that he followed this methodology even in the darkest of times. There's a, there's a Rishima, like a journal entry, that the Rebbe's father wrote when he was arrested. I mean, he was arrested by, by the communists. That was not a fun thing. And yet, at that time, he was reflecting on the significance of every detail of his arrest and his imprisonment. And he writes about the significance of the day of the week and, and, and about the significance of his name and his name Levi and his name Yitzchak and, and his mother's name and all the different details of his life, he was reading it and saying, it's all Hashkoch it's all connected to this situation. And then he even includes in that foreign names of like cities where he was in exile. And these are not Russian Akkadish names. These are, I don't even think they're Russian names. I mean, he was in Kazakhstan. That's where he was, that's where he passed away. But I don't know where Chile is. I don't know, I don't, doesn't sound like a Slavic name. Maybe it is a Slavic name. But he like, he was in exile in a place called Chile. And he talks about the significance of that name. At any rate, the point is that Rebbe, first of all, you, you see how the Rebbe mentions all of his predecessors in the Basilagani Mimer. So it's also a way of the Rebbe working in his father's name because although the Rebbe's father was not a Rebbe, the Rebbe had a very special relationship with his father, not just as a father and a son, but as a, you can't really call it Rebbe and Chassid because his father wasn't a Rebbe, but it was a, a real teacher-student connection. So the Rebbe is mentioning his father. But the point is that the Rebbe's father goes as far as to say, 
it's not just the Lashon HaKadosh names, but since everything's Ashkocha Pratis, then it's even foreign names. And he says, my father would do that. He would look at the name of something. Examples that I'm thinking of right now are names of cities. Um, and he would read deeper spiritual significance in those names, even though they're not the Lush and Kurdish names. And there's no significance. I mean, there's seemingly no significance. Seemingly, yeah. Because we're saying everything is Lush and Kurdish. Right. significant because the actual letters are significant. It's right, it's the building blocks of creation. So, but, but who cares if a bunch of people got together and decided through social convention to refer to something as a chair or a table? And yet, because everything's Hashkoha Pratis, so Hashem arranged that as well on some level. And so, there's significance to that as well, on some level. Okay, but let, let's, let's continue. Okay. The Nimtza, so it comes out. That the godly life force that's in everything. Regarding which we say to Hashem, you enliven everything. The form of the life force is referred to as its name. Because the way he gives it life is through speaking its name. And we need to understand. How does that fit? How does this fit with what is said in the discourses, in the Maimorim of the original Maimor of Yud Shvat, meaning the 20 chapters from the previous Rebbe? He says over there, the previous Rebbe says over there in his Maimorim, that when we say, you, Hashem, enliven all, that's referring to Ur and Chayas. But we're saying apparently it's not Ur and Chayas, or it's not only Ur and Chayas, it's also Shem. So how are we going to fit this all together? Continues. We're still in chapter 5. And here's something also that's not understood. Alpia Yudua Sha'ur Valderich Zechayus Vishem Heim Beis Hafochim. Ur and Chayas and Shem are like two opposites. Like we're trying to split hairs and figure out how they're different nuances. But seemingly they're like two total opposites. Sha'ar v'chein Chayus, that Ur and also Chayus, who begin his Gili Canal. As we mentioned earlier in the Mimer, they're revealed. Like I told you, if you see light, then it's clearly revealed. If the light's shining, then it's revealed by definition. Mashenken Shem, but not the name, who is Helem. The name is concealed. I'll give you the biggest proof that the name is concealed. That it was a big deal that Adam identified the names. When you look at something, it has a name. Doesn't mean that you recognize it. If you walk into a room and you say, Guys, I just made a discovery. The lights are on. Yeah, no kidding, Sherlock. Of course the lights are on. Everyone can see. If the lights are on, we all can see the lights are on. 
or I'll make it even more absurd. You walk outside and you go, guys, the sun is shining. No kidding. If the sun is shining, then you can see the sun is shining. But to walk outside and to say, I see the name of that glowing ball up there. It is called Shemesh. First of all, don't look at the sun too long. It's not good, but that would be pretty cool. Except for the fact you probably heard it somewhere. But let's say you just never heard anything and you, whatever. Okay. When we speak about revelation, meaning God's energy that is revealed, that really is best described with this term, oir, which we call light. Here's a concept. If you learn to this, you'll come across it <coughs> fairly often. The light is similar to the luminary. You know what that means? It's very simple. It just means that light is pretty indicative of the qualities of the source of the light. In other words, sunlight is pretty indicative of what the sun is. Or, the light is me'ain, is similar to the mo'er. It's like an extension of it. That's how light works. Light is the extension of the luminary. So they're not like super different from each other. The light resembles the source that it comes from. And through the light, you can ascertain the greatness of the luminary. In other words, you can't, like literally, you can't look at the sun. <laughs> but by looking at the sunlight, you can deduce some qualities of the sun. So he gives the example of a candle flame. The light from a candle flame. Or another example, the light of a torch. Moonlight. Or sunlight. What's the point here? Even if I can't see the moon, I could probably identify a picture that was taken with moonlight even if the moon's not in the shot. I could probably identify a picture that was taken by candlelight, even if the candle flame's not in the shot. I could definitely, I mean, even I can identify a picture that was taken in sunlight, even if the sun's not in the shot. Why? Because the oir is me'en hamo'er. Light is indicative of the luminary. Shachilak shebein oir haner le'oir avuka meira ala mo'er. The difference between candlelight and torchlight shows you the difference between a candle and a torch. Mashen came b'shem, but not a name of something. You understand what we're saying? Light automatically is revelation. It's revealing something about the source that it comes from. But name, this category, this level called name, it doesn't give us all that information. It remains, he calls it behelem, it, it remains cryptic. I can know a lot about the mo'er, the luminary, just by looking at the er that comes from it. It's not the same when I know a name of something to be able to deduce what it is in its source. Shal yode musig adam 
I cannot know the personality of the person by knowing their name. I know the psychics all pretend, oh, tell me his name. It starts with a B, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yes, he was a very kind man, but he had a harsh side of him as well. Is that true? I'm sensing, yes, and he wants to communicate with you. Is that true? Oh, I'm running out of energy. I need more money. What? <laughs> Well, here's the thing, you, you would think we should be able to, but no, really it was a really incredibly unique thing that Adam was able to do it. Nobody else could do it. No, no, Adam, the opposite way. Oh, like can we, can we like reverse engineer it? Right, yeah. I guess what we're saying is, that's an even greater point I guess you're bringing out. We can't even reverse engineer this thing. Right, and that's all great, but the reality is, if, you know, if, if your daughter has to marry a guy, has to meet a guy, let's not rush to marrying them, but your daughter has to meet a guy, and someone says, uh, I, want, I want her to meet this guy, and you say, can I see a profile? They're saying, you don't need a profile, let me tell you his name. Right. Shouldn't we be able No, 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 not so you can go follow up. No, I'm just going to tell you his name. His name is Chaim Beryl. Essence revealed. Essence revealed. I got it. I <laughs> happily married. No, I don't know anything that you're telling me that. Yeah, and yet, yet what we're saying is we, we don't really know the first things about it. Even though we know it's real, it's like me saying, yeah, atomic theory, really, atoms make everything up? I'm looking at the table right now, I don't see any atoms, must not be a true theory. Well, no one made a claim that you could see atoms with the naked eye. Nobody said you could stare at the table and see the atoms. Doesn't mean it's not a true concept. Same thing here. The Shem of everything in Lashon HaKadosh makes that thing. I'm not promising you'll be able to see it. Okay. Who said we can't? What? Who said we can't? I'm saying we can't. Why are you saying we can't? Maybe I can't see the atoms. How do you know oh. I can't see into the essence of the letters? It's, well, if you can, then you've got a marketable skill and you should make money off of it. We'll because be most people can't. You want... I don't even want to comment on this because I don't want to get off topic, but I'm going to tell you, you push the button, I'm going to tell a story. But I'm going to do it in 30 seconds. 30 seconds. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, once in one of his states of Dveikos, he told the Tamech Tzedek, his grandson, he said, he was looking at the roof beam of the house, and he said, I don't see the beam, I see the oisius, the letters which are creating the beam. The Alter Rebbe was looking at the physical world and he was seeing the letters that make it up. Okay, that's, what, whatever. So yeah. we want to aspire to that. Sure, but it's an aspirational level. The point is that's not the default. Let's get back on topic. The point is that we're saying here that or is me'ena ma'er. When we talk about Hashem enlivening the world in a, in a manner of or, what we mean is that the product is indicative of the producer. 
that you're able to look at something and see the, the results and from there deduce what went into it. When we talk about Shem, that Hashem's creating the world through naming the world, what we mean is the life force is very hidden. I'll give you a simple proof that Abba says. You have many people who all go by that same name. How many people you know who are named Chaim Beryl? Well, that's a little bit more unique because it's two names combined. But let's say I'll find five guys named Chaim Beryl, and it doesn't mean that they, oh, you guys will all have the same personality. Or the Shadchan will say, listen, we couldn't find that Chaim Beryl. He got married over there. We got another Chaim Beryl. Same name, same likelihood of success. Okay. You have, people have the same name, but they're not the same in their, their seichel and other aspects. And even more than that, even names of species. Okay, because if you're going to go into names of specific individuals, they're for sure, the more, the more individualized you get, the more differences you're going to find. But let's just talk about a shame min, a name of a species. Like all oxen are oxen on some level, okay? But even that, the shame min, it's still hidden. As evident from the story in the Medrash, where Hashem was praising all them as having the ability to identify those names. If those names are so obvious, then it's not a big compliment to say all them was capable of identifying them. If the name of something was shining, the way light shines, What's the big deal? He was able to identify it. It's as impressive as saying, oh, the sun is out. Yeah, I know the sun is out because you see sunlight. That's not impressive. But to say this is called a shor, that's impressive because it's behela, meaning he's digging into something that's hidden. You understand? We're describing a life force of Hashem that's present, but it's hidden. It's hidden. So we see from this that that life force that we describe as the name of something is in a hidden state. Similarly, when Hashem gets his name, so to speak, from Adam, Adam says to Hashem, you should be called Aleph Dalad Nun Yud because you are the Odin, you are the master of all of your creation. So Adam named Hashem. Well, Hashem had that name before Adam named him, but Adam was able to identify God's name, or at least one of God's names. The reason we describe this as Chochma is because. He's identifying something that's hidden. And we, may, we might say, 
This is also related to what it says in Shari Yichud Vamun in the name of the Arizal. The Arizal is quoted in Shari Yichud Vamun as saying that even an inanimate object has life in it. How can you say a stone has life in it? I mean, today with atomic theory, everybody knows that there's massive energy in all matter. But I understand a deer is running around, prancing around. It has life in it. A stone has life in it? We're saying yes. The Rebbe says like this. When the Arizal says that something is a daimim, daimim means silent, inert, inanimate. He's not just, just describing its physical state. He's also describing its spiritual state. He's saying that spiritually it is silent. In other words, when you look at it, you don't necessarily, you necessarily don't see the name. Everything that exists reveals godly power. Because if it didn't have godly power, it wouldn't exist. Everything that exists proclaims inherently that there is godly energy which creates it. Similar to the concept that every created being sings a song to Hashem. What is it sings a song? What key is the song in? It's not a musical song. It means that everything exists as a reflection of the divine power, and its very existence proclaims and extols the power of the Creator. And yet, we have things that are inanimate, silent. Daimim literally means silent. You look at them and you don't see overtly the godly power. And that's his point, what he's making in Shari Yechad Vamuna, and quoting the Arizal, that even these things where you look at them and it's not obvious that there's a godly power in them, they still have a spiritual life force that enlivens them. And then he goes on and explains in Shari Yechad Vamuna that that hidden life force is the name. In other words, the name is the hidden life force. So the fact that a stone is a manifestation of incredible godly power, but we don't see that power unless we really meditate on it, that is the name, quote-unquote, of the stone. However, in the previous Rebbe's Maimer, remember the Rebbe's Basilagani is explaining the previous Rebbe's Basilagani, in the previous Rebbe's Maimer, he calls it or he calls it light. Specifically, which is revealed. So which is it? Is it or light, which is revealed? Or is it Shem, name, which is hidden? In other words, the way Hashem is creating the world, is it like light, which reveals the luminary? Or is it like a name that's hidden and doesn't reveal the Creator? Well, what do you think the answer really is? Any, 
I'm going to, based on, you know, you've learned with me more than twice, what do you think the answer to any question exodus that is formulated as, is it this or is it this? It depends is a good answer, or both is a good answer. Or you could just say yes. Is it this or is it this? Is it R or is it Shem? Yes. Okay, so that I could answer. It's not merely subjective. We are describing objective differences. Okay, we got a few lines here to finish chapter 5. I want to try to finish this off. I know it's getting late. It's also understood that the previous Rebbe brings from Igeres HaKadosh Shimon Chof. That's the Alter Rebbe, not from Shari Yechad Vamunah, but from another section of Tanya, from the fourth volume of Tanya, letter number 20 from the Yigeras HaKadosh. The Ha'ara, the Ha'ara, the Ha'ara. An emanation of an emanation of an emanation, Mehakav, from the original uh, energy, who Bechol Nivroim is present in all created beings, V'noitzrim V'nasim Cholu, and Nivroim, Noitzrim, V'nasim are just different levels. It corresponds to Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. The point is that all created beings on every level of creation have some glimmer or a glimmer of a glimmer or at least a glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer of the original energy. And the point he's making, the previous Rebbe is making, is that there is a revelation of the godly life force in the created beings. In other words, only God's essence can create something from nothing. So therefore, the fact, that's an axiom, only God's essence can create something from nothing. In the in-between levels of the spiritual realms, it's not something from nothing. But something from nothing is, is only God's essence. The fact that something from nothing can be created on, every, on any level of creation really means that God's essence is present on every level of creation. So it comes out that at least on some level, the fact that things are being created something from nothing is an indication of Hashem's essence being present, or at least a, a glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer of that presence. In Yenigilu, which means revelation. So is it revealed or is it concealed? Is it or or is it Shem? And the previous Rebbe goes on and continues to explain. That this or and chayus shines and is drawn down even to the lowest levels, the physical world. If I go up high, there you are, Hashem. If I go down low, here you are. That the godly life force is not only revealed in the Shemayim, up there, like we say, the heavens communicate the greatness of God. But rather, Gam also, it's down here on the earth, means in the pit, meaning the lowest of the low, but even in the lowest of the low, the godly life force is revealed. Shemam Shechsham, like he continues over there, meaning the previous Rebbe continues over there. This is a quote from the previous Rebbe's Maimur. It is within the ability of every person. Even the simplest person. 
Leida Zeus to know this canal. We mentioned it earlier in this mimer. To know what? That there's a creator, and that creation is a manifestation of the creator. So, what we're dealing with right now is this juxtaposition. The way that the world exists, when you look at the world, is the godly energy apparent, or is it hidden? Or means the godly energy is apparent, and that every person, even a simple person, can identify it. Shem means, no, it's not apparent. It's hidden. It's hidden, and we don't see it. Now, the reality is, they're both true. And we need, we need to know about both. We need to know about the godliness that is that the world is a testimony to, that when you look at the world itself, the world is a testimony to a creator. But we also need to know about the godly life force, which is hidden in creation. And it takes faith to even admit that it's there. And again, why do we need to know this? First of all, it just refines you and makes you, more, it makes you more sensitive and spiritual to know that this stuff exists. But also, like I said earlier, the Basilagani Mimer is always about this project, the project of the seventh generation, to bring Mashiach, to reveal Hashem in this world. So I got to know what this entails. What am I working with? How revealed is Hashem already? How hidden is Hashem? Get what I'm saying? Okay. Heavy stuff, you guys. You deserve, I don't know, some type of a prize. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.